want you to know it could not have ultimately meant Ben because they had a, an ingrained love for me. <laughs> because I did not give them much in the way of love back. <laughs> it had to be, and they would testify because they love God. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and you love God, God wants to use you in the life of others. And He wants to use you the way He's made you. He's not looking to make cookie-cutter Christians who are all doing the same thing. It would be a miserable world if that were the case. He has made us unique and wants to use us uniquely and not be in competition against one another, but be working together for His glory. And the machinery behind all these things and the, the one who is working all these things together is God. And when we begin to not love one another, but fight against each other or war against each other or try against each other, we are denying the machine maker, the body maker, the building maker, who's very wise. God has made you to be part of a body that is fitly joined together. And He wants to use you to bring glory to Himself. And I would plead with each one of you and I plead with my own self that we get in on what God is doing because we love Him. And therefore, we can love others. We've been looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And today, we want to see what it is and why it is that God gives us these gifts. And I would propose to you that it is so that we might use what God has done for His glory, but so that we might show love. And I want you to know, love is going to be shown differently by different people in different ways in accordance to the way God has made them. Where one might show their love towards you, with frequent phone calls or letters or notes, another might be there in your time of greatest need because they're able to help you in that need. Now, I praise the Lord that this morning my wife could be driving to church and there be something clicking under our car that we just bought. And she said, she said to herself, I can stop at the Barrett's house and ask Mr. Barrett what he thinks is going on. I'm glad that she could do that. Right? And this was minutes before church was going to start. And I'm glad that George and Joanne didn't say, well, church is about to start. Why are you stopping here? They said, so, well, let me get under your car and see what's going on. And God wants to use you in these things. He wants you to be able to show love and He wants you to be ready to be able to show that love. And this is why 
this passage is so extremely important. And it's a passage that has been known, it's been placarded, it's been put on walls, it has been put on uh, uh, your memes on Facebook. It is a passage that Christians know well, but even the unsaved have heard these things. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the very last verse, it says, But covet earnestly the best gifts. We talked about that. You know, we often try to figure out what list of the best gifts are we trying to figure out? Which ones should I want? I would, I would propose to you this. The best gifts are the ones that God is going to be able to use in your life to have the most impact for His glory in this world. For me, it might be teaching. For you, it might be something drastically different. It may be hospitality. And I would plead with you that if God gifts you in a particular way to earnestly, and that what that means is with a zeal that consumes you, use those gifts. To be a help in this world to a people that need help. Right? Use them zealously. And then he says this, and it's so important that we see it. And yet I show, yet show I unto you a more excellent way. He says, I want you to know the best way. He's been talking about gifts and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he's not saying, hey, disregard the whole idea of gifts. He's not saying that. He's saying that in the midst of these gifts, I want you to know that your gifts are not made. God does not give them to you so that you can say you're a better Christian than someone else. (laughs) He does not give you gifts to divide and to make others think that their way, their life, is of less value than yours. Which is so often what happens within churches. And I praise the Lord. I don't think this is the type of thing that happens here. But it can happen to where people begin to lift up certain other people and put down certain other people because of the way God has designed them to be used of Him as if somehow God made that person less of a good Christian. The Lord says to use your gifts in accordance to the faith that God has given you. And so when he says, I show you a more excellent way, he's not saying, hey, disregard the spiritual gifts and don't worry about that. He's saying in conjunction with this, there is something that is of the utmost need. The word excellent literally means to take and to throw beyond. I used to uh, go to the... The summer camp at the town summer camp. How many of you kids have been to the town summer camp? And I know some of you have. You can raise your hand. You guys here? Right? Town summer camp. And they'd have the, they'd have the, the, this competition every year for the town summer camps. And it had to do with running. That wasn't me. Right? Uh, it would have to do with sometimes sprints and running. I wasn't in those, right? But then there was the softball throw, right? And that was the one that I could get into. And you'd get guys up there and, and they'd throw it. And I'd think to myself, 
oh, I'm going to be able to beat that guy. Right? I'll be able to throw it beyond that guy. And uh, I'd get up there and sometimes I'd win, sometimes I'd lose. But the word excellent means to be the one that throws it the furthest. That makes sense? It'd be the one, it'd be like the javelin thrower who wins the gold medal. It means that which is the best. It is the one that is most. And when it comes to our lives... And the use of God in, that God wants to, by the Holy Spirit, use us to transform this world, to be a help in this world, to make this world better for His glory and for the fertilization so that the gospel can go out. We look at New England, we say New England is not fertile. It's just filled with hard ground and hard-hearted people. We need Christians of all types to be fertilizing this ground, to be tearing up the old and, and hard ground. And how do we do it? By taking what God is giving us and loving other people with it. And so he says in this most famous of passage, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, agape love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And it begins to go through many of the gifts that are lifted up as the best gifts. And he does that on purpose. He's saying, hey, you, you who like to speak with your tongue. Maybe he had pastors in mind when he said this type of thing. He said, though that I speak with the tongues of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tingling cymbal. Maybe he's talking about the evangelist who's able to go into other nations and, and at that time able to literally speak in the languages of those people where they could understand. Just like you look in Acts chapter 2 and you can see that they were speaking and everybody understood them in their own language. You know, you can start getting proud when that kind of stuff happens to you. When that type of stuff that happened in Acts 2, you can start getting pretty proud. How do we know this? Because the disciples themselves, when they were gifted with certain things in the, in the Gospels, they went out, they healed people with diseases, they cast out devils, and they came back to Jesus. And you know what they were crying out? Lord, you would not believe it, but we were able to cast out devils in your name funny how we Christians do that, right? Hey, I was able to cast out devils in Jesus' name, right? It's like the I gets the gets the the, the, the pronouncement and the Jesus' name. Well, well that's kind of kind of a little bit over here. I've, I got to mention Jesus. I'm a Christian, by the way, you know, so. And, but that's that was what the disciples were doing when they came back. You know what Jesus did? He told them, stop. He said, don't rejoice and that the devils are subject unto you, but rather rejoice in this, that your names are written down in the book of life. In other words, our great rejoicing is in our lives being written down. You know what the next great rejoicing is? Is that someone else's name is written down because of our lives. And God wants to use us in these things in a multitude of ways to... to Begin the work that God wants to see done in this world. 
We need men and women in their workplaces who can show kindness and love in places that can often be filled with hostility and nastiness. I've heard, I've, I, I praise the Lord that I had the opportunity to be a pastor and there's all kinds of dealings with that. But I hear from folks who go to their workplaces and there are seasons where it's hard to get up and go to work because you know when you go there, it's going to be another day of misery with people who are miserable. Right? God needs people that are ready to go to these workplaces and for the glory of God, not be miserable, but to be kind in the name of Christ. And so he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Now, he is speaking in hyperbole. He's not saying that this is what he does. He's saying that if he could, if he could go to the extreme. To be able to speak every single language in the world and in fact even in angelic languages. But he did not have charity or agape love. He would be nothing more than an annoying, tinkling brass. It would be useless, worthless and worse than useless and worthless. I don't want to be an offense. But when people take the idea of speaking with the tongues of angels, they misinterpret the scripture and take it completely out of context. Angelic tongues are for angels. Mankind's tongues are meant for mankind. I do believe that people speak spoken tongues. And if there are tongues today, it is the same tongues as they had then. It would be an American going to China and be able to speak and the Chinese understand them. But most of what we hear today is that we labor to learn the languages. I believe God has a better way. How about we get the Bible into their language and train their men and women to give that gospel to the people in their country? This is something that has become very big in Christianity today, and I believe it should be. You know, there's 6,000 languages plus in the world today. There's at least, uh, and, and you can break them down into major languages, but there's still hundreds, if not at least a thousand major languages that do not have the scriptures in their own language. But here we have this. If we don't use the gifts that God has given us with love, what are we? Tinkling brass. It is love that is is necessary in the using of these things. It must be because of love. Verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith... So that I can remove mountains and have not charity. I'm nothing. He's saying, if I were able to tell exactly what God intended for every moment of every person's life. If I had faith that I could talk to that mountain like Jesus said and have it removed. 
Which, by the way, you never see Paul do. There's no mention of him moving mountains. If that happened, it would be recorded in Scripture. He's speaking again in the extreme, so extreme that it doesn't really happen. But if it were, and I didn't have love, I'd be nothing. You might say, well, wait a second. There are many people who who lift themselves up as prophets today and as uh, modern day apostles. And many of these men are lifted up high and women are lifted up high. They've got lots of money. They've got lots of fame and they've got power over thousands. I want you to know if what they're doing, number one, is unbiblical and unsound and, and, and heretical. Which, by the way, I believe is true. As they try to add to Scripture and think of themselves as if they're God. But take all that away. Say they had some gifts and they were using it so they could become rich and famous. I want you to know they're nothing to God. I don't want to be nothing to God. But if I don't have love, I, I, what I do for God, it's nothing. In verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, uh, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be, be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. I gain nothing. What he's trying to say here is that God has given you certain gifts and abilities for his glory. And if we do not use them because we love, then we're tinkling symbols. We're nothing. We profit. We have no profit in it. All these negatives, and I'm sure Paul could have gone on with many more. What is he saying? He's saying, if we're not going to use our gifts because we love God, and therefore we can love others then it's meaningless. How do we not love others? Number one, if we have a gift to use for God's glory, and there's an opportunity to use it for God's glory, and we don't, when God wants us to use it for His glory, it's because we don't love. It's got to be, right? If there's something that happens in the midst of your life where you are gifted at doing a particular thing to be a help to a particular person, and God says, literally speaks to you, and I believe God can do that, and said, it is now time for you to help that person, and you say no, what would be the motivation behind the no? I would propose to you, it is because you do not love. You have no charity. There's something within you that says, you know what? I don't love God enough to love that person. And that's not a good thing, right? That's not a good thing. The second way, and there's two, that we can use, we can use our gifts, but we're not using it to be a help to that person. We're using that person to gain something from them or to gain fame because of how nice and cool we are. <laughs> right? 
Did you hear about how I helped that person? Did you hear about how I helped that person? That's not good either. And so God begins to go through what charity is. What love is. What this agape, and it's a, it's a, the word agape is often referred to as God's love, which is true. This is the kind of love that comes through God. That God is the originator of. It's not a love that says, I love you because you're pretty. It's a love that says, I love you because God first loved me. And so he says, charity suffereth long. Charity suffereth long. You know, often this passage of scripture is spoken at weddings, and I'm not against that. But the context of the whole thing is this, is God has made you and he's made you to love him and love others. That's the whole context. He has made you a particular way with particular gifts. That by the Holy Spirit, you can be empowered to do things better than you normally would. And he wants you to use them in particular ways for His glory because you love Him and therefore you can use them to love others and charity suffereth long. You know what that means? That means that it is long-lasting. That means for as long as the other person is suffering, you suffer alongside with them with the gifts that God has given you To suffer alongside with them. And can you see how the different ways in which God has made people is crucial in the long suffering? He says charity is kind. How important it is that we use our gifts with kindness. When we use our gifts with pompousness, what good is it? The opposite would be kindness. Charity envieth not. That word envieth is the same word excellent back in chapter 12, verse 31. But in this sense... It's speaking about how we use evil means to be the best. It's not wrong to look at a person's life and say, I I wish I had some of what they had. It's wrong to use evil means to get what they have. It's also wrong to use evil means to get them not to have it. That's what envy does. Does that make sense? We're not in a rat race trying to figure out who can be the best. Not in your workplaces and not here. Not in your neighborhood, nor in your little league. Nor in the soccer association. Right? We're all here with different gifts for the glory of God. Vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. That word unseemly is not talking about running around naked. That'd be unseemly. Nobody wants that. 
It's talking about being in a room with a bunch of people. And they're all looking at you because you're doing something that is outside of the realm of goodness. <laughs> Unseemly can be telling a joke that's dirty. That's unseemly. If you're a Christian, that's unseemly, isn't it? could be laughing at that joke. It's unseemly. There are things that just don't make sense when it comes to a Christian. And God wants to use your gifts and He doesn't want them to be used in such a way that God is taken out of the picture. And you know what unseemliness does? It minimizes God in your life. You guys with me on that? Because it takes... God and causes the one who proclaims to be of God, you, a Christian, and it takes God and says, and everybody knows, well, that, that doesn't make sense with that person. They, that person said that they're a Christian. What they're talking about, what they're laughing about, what they're doing doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up. And so if you're beginning, if you're using your gifts and you're being unseemly, if, listen, if there's a lady in our church, a single mom who has car trouble and there's a guy in our church that can help, can that guy use his gifts for the glory of God? Could he be unseemly with that single mom? would ruin everything, wouldn't it? It would ruin everything. Love's not unseemly. Charity is not unseemly. It seeketh not her own and is not easily provoked and thinketh no evil. The love that God wants us to have is not easily provoked. <laughs> this is so important. The word provoked means to be stuck with a stick. A pointy stick over and over and over again. All right? And so if you're stuck with a stick over and over again, what eventually happens? You get annoyed and you want to punch the guy that's poking you with a stick, right? If a guy pokes you with a stick one time, should you punch him in the nose? Because you're not easily provoked. Now maybe once they get to the tenth time, you look back and say, hey, listen, stop it or I'm going to punch you in the nose. But that's what the word here means. It means not easily provoked. It doesn't mean that you're... There's no way you'll ever be provoked. Jesus himself was provoked when he went to the temple. And there they were selling their wares and making his father's house a, 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 a fox's den. Right? He's not saying unprovocable. But he means, listen, you're not going to take the things that annoy other people and use it as a thing that says, I, 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 I hate that guy. <laughs> Because God won't be able to use you and your gifts in those ways. Um, Rejoiceth not in iniquity. How important is that? I was reading in Proverbs last night and it came to a passage where it talks about the son of the king. You cannot... Be happy when God begins to punish somebody for their sin. 
He says, don't rejoice or laugh. Because he got, he, the, the, in the book of Proverbs it says, because God might stop. The implication being, God might look at you. Brethren, when bad things happen to bad people, it is not the time to rejoice. It is the time to pray and to be ready to minister. Because I'll tell you the truth. Number one, I am a bad person, but I'll also tell you this. I was way worse without Christ. And I'm glad that people didn't look at me and say, that guy's a bad person. And I was. There wasn't much redeeming about me. But the men and women who gave the gospel to me, they were long-suffering and they didn't rejoice when bad things happened to me. They were ready to minister to me. And I love them for it. They love me. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. The love of God is always there. And He wants us to be always there. But whether they be prophecies, they shall fail. And that's true. People say there's not going to be any prophecy in heaven. I believe that's true. But here's the thing. Even the prophets failed sometimes. You ever thought of Jonah? He prophesied. He was wrong, wasn't he? God did not destroy the city. Prophecies fail. And the truth is, is that pastors who proclaim the word of God which is the ultimate meaning of prophecy, they get it wrong, don't they? We do. They'll fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. By the way, one day we're all going to speak the same language anyway. And if Paul was talking about us speaking about angelic languages here, then this this verse right here doesn't make sense. Because the angels are speaking whatever language they may be speaking up in heaven today. One day we're going to go there. (laughs) Which means if angelic languages are speaking down here, they're going to cease. Which doesn't make sense. Whether it be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Verse 10. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. What that means is this. As a child, I put importance on things that weren't important. Once I became a man, other things became important because those really were important. And this isn't a civics lesson, but there are many things that are much more important than what we thought of as a child. (laughs) What did we think of as a child were most important? I remember wanting to be popular. That was the most important thing to me. It can't be once you become a man. That can't be the case anymore, right? I remember as a child uh, wanting many of the toys that other people had. And now, may God help me, it shouldn't be that way, right? What he's saying here is this. God has done a particular work in your life. To lead you to be the man and woman that you are today. 
And he wants you to put a priority on those things that are most important. Which means this, we can use our gifts for that which is not important, or we can use our gifts for that which is. He wants us to be men, not boys. He wants women to be women and not little girls. Amen? With this promise, because listen, living like a child is very attractive. There are many adults today who live like children and their whole idea of life is figuring out the way to be able to live like a child. Ultimately, it comes down to this. How can I entertain myself? And we as adults, we can get into that idea. But listen, this is the promise. Why would I live as a man when being a man is filled with responsibility and it's filled with boredom sometimes? It's filled with with uh, being let down and it's filled with having to do things that I don't want to do. Why would I do these things? For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Because right now you don't see it, but one day you're going to see Christ face to face. And there's a little phrase that he says. Welcome, my good and faithful servant. May God help us that we might want that more than the entertainments of this world. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. What an amazing promise. I don't even know what that means. How can I know Christ the way He knows me? I don't know. But that's what it says. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. May God help us to love. Amen? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. passage of Scripture is filled with challenge. This passage of Scripture is not just a nice cursive thing to put on the wall. It's a challenge for us to be used of God in the way that God has made us with the understanding that one day we will find ourselves in heaven and face to face with Christ. We will find rest there. We will find everlasting joy. We'll not have a moment where we're not happy. Not the case here. Not for you and not for others, but God wants to use you to be a help. To be that breaker up of that hard ground. Maybe in your office or your workplace. To be a help to Christians in this church. All of these things work together. That, and it all leads to God's glory and ultimately to more knowing Christ.